Hey, welcome to the Azarian Podcast. Hello. Thanks for joining us again. No Liam this week? No, he's, he's, he's through the dreaded luggy. Yeah, he caught, call it caught the T-virus. He did. He was at one of Jack's parties. He was um, playing Resident Evil 7 too much and he's caught the dreaded virus. No, but um, I'm Brian and I'm joined by Dave this week. Hello. Hey, so let's just get straight into it. Mm. Um, let's start off with last week's Poorly Remembered Game Quote. That's right. Which was one of Liam's. And this was, look at me, sketch. I'm just a drawing, but I'll be free soon enough, as soon as you're dead. Um, and that was Mortis from Comic Zone. What a great wee game for the Mega Drive. I never actually played it. Oh, it's awesome. It's it so was, good. It was towards the end of the, the Mega Drive's lifespan, I think it came yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's like really well produced. It's like good looking game, good sound, good everything. It's a bit short though. And that was correctly guessed, correctly answered by Steve, the one true fan, our one true fan. He's been with us since the beginning. So yeah, cheers for getting in touch with the, the answer to that poorly remembered game quote. We'll have another one at the end of this episode, and we have a prize this week. Oh my god! I know, and it's not Jimmy White's one sticker. <laughs> I could find another copy if you really wanted, and we could give him one every time somebody gets a quote right. Everybody's got a copy. Jimmy White's one one sticker. Does anyone really deserve that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, we've we've got a copy of World of Goo. Oh, uh, which I believe uh, is available to our respondent on either PC, Android, or iOS. Uh, it's a great little indie title. It's quite an old one as well, isn't it? It's... Yeah, it's a good few years old. Yeah, it's a great little puzzle game, but it's I think it it stands the test of time, really. Oh no, I didn't mean it like old as and bad. It's like it's been around for a while. It's like it one of the earlier ones, like obviously Cave Story is like the earliest one I know of, but mm. like it's one of the earlier ones, like Super Meat Boy and all that kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's available on quite a few different platforms now, but yeah, you can get it on um, if you stay tuned at, until the end of the show, you can find out how to win that. Mm. So what have you been playing this week? So, uh, well, this week it's been mostly Gravity Rush mm-hmm. Remastered. Um, That's on the PS4. Yes, PS4. originally came out in Vita in 2012. It was a launch title, I think, known as Gravity Days in Japan. Mm. Um, D-A-Z-E, not days, as in like number of days. It's really, really good. It's... It is an open world kind of game. Um, it's, but it's, it's not like an RPG or anything like that. It's an, it's an open world platformer action type thing. Uh, the gimmick is that you can shift gravity and you fight against, like, anomalies that come from, I think, like, gravitational black holes. They're called the Nevi. Mm-hmm. And you are a woman called Kat, who, um, can shift gravity. She doesn't remember who she is, where she came from general sort of amnesia stuff from a Japanese game. And you've got to protect the, I don't remember the exact, town name, but it's got several sectors called Ald Noir, Plasian, Industria, and Vendesantle. Um I can't remember the whole town's name, unfortunately. But it's... Um, it Hexaville? Hexaville, that's the one, yeah. You've got to protect them from the invading Nevi, mm. who are trying to destroy the town. It's a very odd and interesting looking game. It's a combination of Japanese and French stuff. Mm-hmm. The general sort of sound is a combination of like... Um, Japanese, in fact, everything about the game is a combination of Japanese and French. It's um, a bit of a mashup. Yeah. Uh, the way that things are portrayed and the way that the game looks is very sort of, everything, the town of Hexaville looks a bit like Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a part in the, um, the kind of sort of central town bit that is pretty much just a giant Arc de Triomphe. There's a kind of industrial area that looks like a sort of 1930s, 1940s European industrial area, like uh, maybe more German. Okay. But it's, uh, it's very, very fun, um, for a, portable title it's hugely ambitious like the, the world is really big for a portable game it's massive um uh-huh. the combat is actually relatively deep there's a lot going on there so that like, you've got multiple ways to defend yourself the platforming gets really interesting sometimes obviously like because it's open world there's no so much they can do in terms of level design for like taking full advantage of how the gravity shifting mechanic actually works yeah but there are some areas where you can tell that it's been designed so no it's no verticality but like the 3D space has been properly considered. Okay. As in how the gravity can affect how you progress through the level. And it's really quite interesting how they've managed to do that. It's, it's a really well-made game. And it's, you know, a sequel. Um, mm-hmm. Gravity Rush 2, which just came out two weeks ago, I think. Yep. I'm probably going to try and platinum Gravity Rush because I've enjoyed it so much. It's really quite fantastic. It's incredibly well produced for a portable game. It still holds up on home console. You can get it for really cheap now for like 15, 20 quid. Well worth a buy. I'd say so. Cool. 
Have you played the demo for Gravity Rush 2? Yes, I have, yes. So how does the, how does it compare in terms of, so I guess obviously Gravity Rush has been ported across from the, the Vita. Mm. Uh, Gravity Rush 2 looks fantastic and mm-hmm. it seems to be that it's, it's a really, uh, dense level design, lots of destructible environment objects. Yes. Does the, the original Gravity Rush maybe suffer from a little, I don't know, scaling back? I mean, it, it, you can you can tell it was originally, well, not even originally a portable title. It feels more like a PS3 game that's been ported up. Right. Okay. To be honest, um, or maybe PS2. Um, it doesn't feel like a portable title, which is weird. It's just it's merely a testament to like a well-designed Vita game or like one of the few well-designed Vita games that's not a VN port. So it does suffer. Like the world does occasionally feel a bit empty, um, static. But like you can tell, like. If if you were playing it on a Vita, that probably wouldn't have been so much an issue because obviously your display is smaller, it doesn't matter as much. Yeah. Whereas on a larger display, you can notice these inconsistencies a bit more. Like they've done quite a bit to try and cover that up. Like they've in, they've increased the fidelity of the textures, draw distances better, it runs at a uh, locked sixty frames per second, which is remarkable. Gravity Rush Two concentrates more on the visual aspect of things, so it runs at thirty. Uh, it has a lot of physics stuff going on. A lot, there's a lot of destructible things in the game. Like, there were some physics based objects in Gravity Rush 1. So you can pick up stuff and throw at enemies or, like, pick up people and transport them to places and stuff. Right. But it's not as played up as it seems to be in Gravity Rush 2. Another thing to note about the demo in Gravity Rush 2 is, it's based on an older build of the game. So if you have played it, if you had any issues with the frame rate, that's not an issue with the final game. Okay. Um, it's completely erased. So apparently the final game plays absolutely fine. Almost locked 30. Cool. Which is good. Yeah, Gravity Rush, it's not one that I picked up. I have played it on the, the Vita a few years back. But Gravity Rush 2, after playing the demo, I did think it was quite enjoyable. Particularly the, the combat system. Yeah. It's just been such a busy month mm. for releases. It's been a, it's, the first quarter of this year's been really quite something. I think everybody like, it's new coming to this phase where a lot of companies are avoiding the quarter four release schedule because that's when Call of Duty comes out. Right. Call of Duty and Battlefield a lot of the time. Or Activision will release something that's huge. Game studios will tend to, or publishers even, will tend to avoid that bracket. The only exception I can think of in recent years has been uh, Square with Final Fantasy fifteen. Right. And even then that was September, not... No, sorry, it was originally September. It came in November 29th. And it's sold very well, so um, because Square Enix, to their credit, marketed the game extremely well, and it's sold six million copies worldwide. Uh, less than one million of those in Japan, though. But that's another story for another time. But yeah, it's. Uh, I'm hoping that Gravity Rush Two does well. It deserves to. Gravity Rush One deserved to be on a console that wasn't abandoned immediately by Sony as soon as it came out, which did happen with the Vita. Mm. Like with within a year. Sony had written that off. Like, I, th- I believe, um, the story was that I read that apparently they had to write off, like, about a hundred million dollars worth of Vita stock because they couldn't shift it. Wow. So it's, it's, that was a major loss. The PS4 is pretty much the only thing making money for Sony at the moment. And it's a, a pity because the Vita is a scrappy little console. Um, oh yeah, it's great. It's just like nobody, like, as soon as it came at the gate, nobody seemed to be willing to support it because I think the, the, the kind of mentality now is, well, Nintendo make portable consoles. It, well, it has been up until recently. Mm. Whether or not that will continue will be at the um, the behest of what happens with the Switch, I think. Mm. Because Nintendo have been pretty... They have said that the Switch is not intended to replace the 3DS and the 3DS will continue to exist. But that is what they said about the Game Boy Advance and the DS and that did not happen. Yeah. So... It's the, the best we'll laid see. intentions, but I guess it all comes down to money in the end. But... And Nintendo love money. <laughs> Liam uh, mentioned last week as well that he'd started playing Resident Evil Seven. Yes, and I know that you've you've completed it. Yeah, so has Liam as well. Um, oh right, yeah, he completed it um, a couple of days ago. I think he just knuckled so, down and got yeah, on with it because, like me, um, myself, and Johnny had finished it, and I think he just wanted to talk to him about it. Right, which is fair enough because it's a, it's a very interesting game. I mean, I've what I've what Liam said last week. Obviously, it was only based on the first twenty minutes of the game, but it's it's something that it's something that runs through the entire game. It's like it's very much a return to form for the series. Capcom have have they've successfully pulled back a lot of stuff. Like um, the last couple of Resident Evil games have been constantly up in the ante mm-hmm. all the time, all the time, all the time. So like obviously, like even even for the early games, it's like one's in a mansion, yeah, two's in a city, 
Three, you're escaping for the city at the same, and there's a huge guy chasing you. Four is in a completely different country and a in an entire village with a completely different virus. So they pulled it out and kind of placed it somewhere else. Totally changed it with four. Yeah, but that worked too well with four because four is. I don't personally like four that much. Mm-hmm. I know that's tantamount to sacrilege, but what it did do is like a, it's an extremely accomplished TPS. It's really really good. Um, it's very well made. Even like now, it holds up. It's a great game. Uh, on a technical level, mm-hmm. um, but that it did too well, and that became Resident Evil. Yeah. So five and six were like up in the ante from four. So it's like, oh, um, now we've got this whole conspiracy where um, uh, the, the conspiracy with Wesker and Ada. Wesker was trying to create like a super virus and all that kind of thing, and it just kept going for there. Like it became on a global level, and then six is just unbelievably shit. Yeah. Like, I've, I've not actually played 6, it to was, be fair. It's a case of, like, continually trying to one-up itself and increasing the scale of the threat. Yeah. Whereas, really, that didn't loan itself to a good story. Yeah. Or, or the ability to tell the story See, well. I, it's not that Resident Evil 6... Uh, sorry. It's not that Resident Evil has to have a good story. It needs to have an enjoyable story. And I think, like, with 6, I'd, it doesn't feel like Resident Evil anymore. Like, like I say, I've not actually played it. I've watched people playing it so I should preface that so maybe like don't take my opinion completely into account take it with a grain of salt mm. uh, or maybe several handfuls of salt but like I don't like that style of gameplay for Resident Evil to begin with so that I go in feeling negative about it already yeah with 6 it just felt like it'd become an action film rather than anything to do with survival horror absolutely yeah and if you didn't like 4 then you're definitely not going to like how that's progressed in no. 6 because it's just it's the same but you know, times ten yeah. in terms of explosions and international um, bioterrorism. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas seven pulls it right back, it strips everything back, and it takes it into somewhere completely different again, like Ford did. Mm. But it's got a style of gameplay that I much more enjoy. It's I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. it, it it's a lot like the first couple of titles for the PS One because it's mostly based on legitimate survival and like solving puzzles making your way around this large area mm-hmm. that is designed to be a one big puzzle uh-huh. or a series of puzzles yeah um and enemies are more of an obstacle that you need to consider how to deal with to avoid rather than cannon fodder mm-hmm. um there are only so many enemies in the game um it's not that they're constantly running at you um so they become more of a like a part of the environment to consider, I suppose, mm-hmm. or objects in the room that are part of what you need to get past to progress. It is probably a contender for the best thing Capcom have done in about fifteen or twenty years, maybe. Um, obviously, like that, that would include stuff like Street Fighter Three, Third Strike, and all that kind of thing, which is an incredible game. Capcom versus SNK Two, stuff like that. But like they've successfully resurrected the franchise, mm-hmm. like um, to my not to in my opinion anyway. It is quite incredible what they've done. All the production values are so high, despite the fact that the um, the production budget is quite a lot lower than Six's was. Uh, there are less people working on it than Six. I think they had over half a thousand people working on Six. Right. And there are about uh, there were about 120 internally in Capcom working on Seven. So um, they, they've scaled everything back on almost every level. But because of that, um, it feels smaller, more compact. So they could you can tell that they've been able to concentrate a lot in detail and making the game feel as good as it can, yeah. rather than trying to make it this huge, weird action bullshit. With a smaller team as well, there's probably better communication. Yeah. The ability to make it more coherent and kind of more like a finished product instead mm-hmm. of different people working on different things. Yeah. And then it coming together and being like, well, this doesn't quite match yeah. up or whatever. But. And you can, like, when I look at the DLC, you can tell that like the engine they've created for this game, RE Engine, um, they're trying to do loads of different things with it. Mm-hmm. And 7 is like a very, very good proof of concept, like this is what we can do with this. And the DLC gives you like wee hints at what they've been what they want to try and do. Like them um, one of them is literally just a card game. Mm-hmm. One of the DLCs is that. One's like an escape room type thing that's just a puzzle. And then you've got like a survival uh, mode, a uh, mercenaries mode, one that's purely story. It's like it is actually more akin to a walking simulator. Like right. it's there is not actually that much gameplay in it. You don't get a weapon. It's telling you a part of the story through another character's eyes, so it gives you this. It gives you a, a look at what Capcom can do with this engine, um, which is is really good as well. Uh, but it, it feels like it's an extra part of the game, mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel separate. It feels like 
something that matches in with the game you're getting. It feels they feel more like um like Tofu Survivor or Hunk and um Resident Evil Two. Yeah. Or um Mercenaries More Than Three. Except you have to pay twenty five quid for them, which is unfortunate. And but, this, you have to pay twenty five pounds for the DLC in Resident Evil Seven. Uh, for the season pass, right? There's two sets of DLC: season one and season two, which uh-huh. are both out now. I think they're both fifteen, so you're saving like a fiver by buying the season pass. I think. Okay. I, th- I think it's that. Don't quote me on the pricing. Apart for the DLC, and the, also the game is a bit short, but the original Resident Evil weren't long. Sure. Apart from that, I'd say it's legitimate game of the year contender and probably one of the better Resident Evils in the series. Okay. Like, it's maybe top five, I'd say. Not, like, not the best, but top five. That's so. quite high price. It's and really It's, it's only, uh, only February and you've already got a contender for your game of the year. I'd be surprised if anything can top it. I mean, obviously, like, Gravity Rush 2 and Neo look exceptional, but the quality that they've achieved with Resident Evil 7, like, it's a, an incredibly well-made game on top of being, like, fun to play. Mm. Like, uh, there's separation you have to consider where like something that's fun but it can also be like kind of shoddy and um like you can feel it's not been like well made like mm. that's maybe not fair to say but like it's it's not got a level of polish to it whereas seven is fun engaging and it's you can tell they spent a lot of time polishing it so that it feels good as well and that pretty much covers all the bases for that it's cool. really really good i haven't played it myself but looking at it the art direction and it looks really um, focused. Like, it looks like the people that have been doing it really knew what they wanted to achieve and they achieved it well. That is because, um, almost every asset in the game is, um, scanned in programmatory. Right. Um, oh, right. they went to an actual, an actual plantation mansion in Louisiana and scanned everything in. So a lot, I think 90% of the assets are scanned in from photogrammetry. All of the characters are based on actors as well. Mm. So it's, um. Hence their nice teeth. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'd suggest giving it a look. It's, it's a bit steep. It's like I say, it's not long, but it's well worth a look. Um, okay. It's great. In terms of the DLC, um, because that that seems almost like mini games as an aside. Yes. Is that something that you can play even if you haven't completed the game, or? Yeah, it's a separate option in the options menu. You can just go to. It's called band footage. Um, so you just like the the main menu is a tape recorder, mm. and you can select the track on the tape recorder and just go to band footage, and you've got a selection of tapes you can go through that's cool so i mean if, if people have got the money to spend on it but they're maybe not into the whole survival horror aspect or they're a bit squeamish maybe some of the modes in that are more enjoyable i mean you'd, i would still suggest playing the full game mm. i mean it would be like you can't play them on their own okay. it would it would be a waste of money to just buy that and then oh yeah yeah and then not play the game and it's I would say it's, it's definitely something you'd need to complete the game first in to get full enjoyment out of them. Okay. It's more like, I wouldn't say it's like an alternative way of playing the game. That's It's not accurate to call it that. It's more like additional little bits that play differently for the game, but still match in. They are effectively like the mini games in the original Resident Evils, like Extreme Battle Mode, Mercenaries Mode, yeah. Tofu Hunk. Like that's, like I described them earlier, but like um, I wouldn't say that you could play them on their own. Okay. So... I'll maybe get around to playing that at some point before the end of the year. March is looking to be like one of the busiest months for video games that I can remember. Yeah. For for me at least. And I think I mentioned already, but with Nier Automata... Um, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Christ, what else? Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh yeah. The expansion for... The final expansion for Dark Souls 3. Uh, yes. which, which, as an aside, that's all I've been playing this, this week is mm. Dark Souls. Because I'm trying to get to the point where I can just finish it all after this expansion comes in. Mm. I think Mass Effect Andromeda is out in March as well. Could be. Which is, it probably probably won't be a massive title compared to the, the previous ones. I get the feeling they've maybe had to cut it short, but... I, they probably had bigger things in mind for it, but they realised how badly they fucked up with 3, with the ending. And I'll, like that ending got a lot of bad press. In fact, the entire game got a lot of bad press. Mm. Like You can tell that they... From what I've seen of the game, I've not played it again, but like from what I've seen of it, it looks like they rushed it out to get it out as quickly as possible. Like they were cutting corners a bit. Um, there is like there's the there was that app that they released. I think it was like um, the production of Mass Effect Three, and there was a lot of story stuff they cut out. I can't remember what's like to do with like a, the elusive man or some of that. I can't remember. Right. Yeah. Um, but like they they cut out an, an entire plot arc with him. As far as Mass Effect Three goes, he was supposed to. He he did have a much bigger role. I don't want to spoil it in case there are people that might want to play this before yeah. Andromeda. But 
I don't think that the the ending's going to factor in too much to to this game. No, um, which is probably the reason why they've done that. So like they can just completely separate it from Mass Effect Three and just say, "Look, forget about that. Here's th- this new thing." I think so. Yeah. yeah, but whilst you know, at the same time, keeping keeping it in the same universe, keeping the the I guess the action and combat and stuff similar, and the the game itself kind of along the same lines as the older games. It's yeah. just the the story that will be somewhat disjointed. But yeah, there's, there's so much coming out. It's unreal. I forgot about Nier Automata, and I forgot about Horizon. I was excited for Horizon for a while, and mm. then like the more I saw it, the more it disinterested me. Yeah, I like the idea of like mechanical wildlife taking over real wildlife. That's a really interesting, cool concept. Mm. But like the design of it just looks boring. I mean, I don't know much about it. I'm not yeah. particularly excited about it, but I do want to try it largely because it's it's kind of the first chance to play with what will be the Decima engine. That's right, yeah, it's um, Kojima Productions are using it for Death Strand, that's yeah. right, I forgot about that. So I did want to maybe mess around with it and see what to expect. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair enough way of looking at it, I can understand that. I mean, the combat looks like it could be quite fun. There's a lot of um, different approaches to, to interacting or fighting the creatures in the, the world. See, the, the, the concern I have with that is, they, they like, for these kind of games, they like showing how much choice you have in trailers, and that tends to be... In my experience, from what I've seen anyway, they tend to show you that and say, look, this is all the choice you have and mm. you can approach this from so many different angles. And that will happen like once or twice in the game. Oh. Or it'll be the same, the same approach that it's set up so that you can see other approaches immediately. Yeah. So you know where you're going. And it's kind of railroading you in a bit. You know, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, undoubtedly. I mean, I think they want to show off what you could do, but likely there's going to be an optimal approach and or a, yeah. you'll find your favourite weapon and you'll always use that. They, they did the same thing with like a lot of Metal Gear Solid 5's missions when they were showing it off at yeah. E3 and stuff. They were like, you can do anything. Like, we're going to do this and we're going to ship in this weapon, we're going to use DD, then we're going to switch to quiet and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And you can usually just like... Run in with run a silenced pistol. Run away a silenced and... pistol and a shotgun, smoke grenades and you're done. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to make the game look big and really interesting that but like for and this is not the same kind of game as Metal Gear Solid 5 it's not it doesn't look like the kind of game that's gonna have that level of strategic freedom it's more of a game that's it's a third person action game and that's fine Mm. but I don't think it's gonna have that level of strategy that they're saying they will it looks like they're portraying it that well but I don't think that's gonna be the case to be honest well um I'll give it a shot anyway and uh, I'll let people know my thoughts closer at the time. Cool. Uh, we'll take a short break before going on to the news. Sure. Hey, we're back. Hello. Uh, so, should we go over some of the news items from this week? Absolutely. Go ahead. Cool. Uh, first of all, uh, happening right now, I believe, in Frankfurt, Germany, is uh, Final Fantasy FanFest. The European FanFest. The European right. FanFest, um, which was graced by the presence of Yoshi P., um, forward to. <laughs> yes, the the producer, director, Final Fantasy fourteen. Uh, produced is he director? I, I can't remember. Uh, he's one of them, or both? Both? I can't remember. Boss San. Yoshi he's the one that does all the work. Yeah, um, um, he's the one that saved it. Yeah, basically, and he was wearing cosplay. He was. He? Was he dressed up as a samurai? He certainly was. Which ties in neatly to probably one of the bigger announcements from FanFest. New class. There's a new job class coming to Final Fantasy fourteen. Alongside Monk? Is it Monk or Dancer that they're putting in? Is it both? Well, Monk already exists. Oh, does it? All oh, right. Um, I don't know. Uh, did they announce Dancer? Or was that us guessing from well, the was last it trailer? The teaser trailer, like um, the woman in the red dress. Mm. She looks like she could be just a different type of Monk, I guess. And, you know, it's just like a, you could construe it as like a reference to Tifa's red costume, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, um, I mean, with the last expansion... Uh, Heavensward brought three new job classes mm. the Dark Knight, the Astrologian and the Machinist right. I don't know if I've got the names right but it was something along those those lines so I would be surprised if this new expansion only brought one character with yeah, one new job class it'll be like Samurai, Red Mage and something else I would guess right? Yeah. So. I mean if, if Red Mage is coming he's going to hold on to that for as long as he can because that's a big one it's a big in, and yeah. it's it's very highly anticipated by the the fans. Well, is it, is it launching after E3? That's a good question. If it launches after E3, they could drop that at E3, I guess. So the release date, as it stands, is June the twentieth. That's after E3. Mm. 
Yeah, because uh, <clears throat> I suppose Square has had a bit of a presence the last few years at E3. Yeah, particularly alongside Sony. Mm. Um, they've been in bed with them, or um, maybe Sony beckoned them towards it, for concern the PlayStation sort of flagging presence in Japan, but that's another story. So the the samurai features in the new trailer that was released as well. Yes, um, it looks pretty badass. Mm. It, like kind of cliched stuff, you know. Yeah, it's uh, like it's blatantly just feudal Japan in the trailer. Yes, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, the, well, that's that's another thing. That's a new area. So the, there's uh, some of the new areas that are introducing with this expansion include Alamigo. They're including the region Doma, mm. which I think was an area in Final Fantasy VI. I can't remember. I've not played that game in a long time. I think the the Kingdom of Doma was like where Cyan was from. Oh right, yeah. Um, I could be wrong, maybe. So there, there'll be a, a there's going to be new areas, new job classes. I would, that would make sense. The game is very heavily six inspired. Like there are a lot of stuff they take for six. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I think they take a lot from the lore in general. Yeah, they they try and um, I mean, we've we've already seen like the recurrence of popular characters from yeah. other other games like Gilgamesh and Ultros and Bigs and Wedge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, other things... Well, I suppose you're right, like, fun, other things from Final Fantasy VI. There's Magitech in there. Yeah. There's, um, I mean... Is it the Gudanians? Um, or Galbadians? The the bad guys in it uh, look like the knights from Final Fantasy XII. Yeah. Um, the judges. Yes, they do. Uh, so, I think a lot of it is, is almost like to try and appeal to the fans. Yeah, it's... it's the, the game is a lot of make good. But it's, it's very well done, make good with fans. Like it's, it's all these things that they take from various parts of the FF series and they integrate it in a way that makes sense. Much like Resident Evil Seven, by the way. So it's, it's it's just a way that you can you can make references without it being nudge nudge. Do you know what this is a reference to? Mm. It's just a way that you just have to consider how you're integrating into the game. Yeah, I think. So. Yeah, I don't think it like forces anyone to to need to know where it's coming from or that. Yeah. But it's things that fans will pick up on. I don't know if you've seen anything else from. Fanfest. Um, I know that the game has been presented with two Guinness World Records. Did right. you know that? I did not. The first one was, it is, I think, either the game with the longest credits or the, the, the MMO with the longest credits. Alright, okay. At 1 hour and 38 minutes long. Wow. Um, because it includes every single player that was uh, playing since 1.0. Ah, uh, okay. So, um, our good friends, Johnny, Steve, Carly and Liz are all in the credits. Uh, did you play 1.0? No. No, so you won't be. No, I'm not, I'm not in the credits. Um, but <laughs> yeah, that's the, the, they got a Guinness World Record for that. They actually had a guy from the Guinness World Records at FanFest yesterday. Right. Present them with these awards. The second one was the largest amount of individual pieces of music ever composed for a video game. Really? Yeah. I think that one's maybe something more to be proud of. Yeah. Rather than these credits we just are put, really long. We put everyone's name in the world into these credits. Yes. Yeah. Um, so like, I think that in, that will probably span all the stuff that was in 1.0 because I don't think they use a lot of stuff from 1.0. Like that was all the stuff that Imatsu composed, and they re- I think they recomposed a lot for the um, A Realm Reborn. I honestly I couldn't say. So like I think there's maybe 100 plus pieces of music they've recorded for the game since then. That's quite a that's quite a big achievement. Yeah. A, oh, definitely. Yeah. Or worse. And it's it's a good soundtrack. Um, I mean. That was that was one of the most very parts of Final it to me. Fantasy. It is, yeah. I I don't really know how you'd you'd go on to further describe that, but yeah, it's, it's it's it sounds like it fits the Final Fantasy game. Yeah, which it's, is it's got an Oimatsu aesthetic. Yeah, um, I can't remember anything else that happened at uh, FanFest. I know that there was a talk- batch Kobo. There was, um, and he looked like it was made of rubber. He probably was made of rubber. It was a cosplay, wasn't it? It was. It yeah. came second in their um, their prizes. Yeah, it was. It was. A Tiamat or something like that? I can't remember it who was, came first. It was a Garuda that came first. Really good. I can't get over how, how incredible that Fatch Kobo looked. Yeah, uh, it, was... it had like little flapping wings and stuff. It, when um, Yosh P was on the stage, it was yeah. like edging him off and like trying to bite him. <laughs> uh, so congratulations to whoever made that. You really that made was, my day. That was some really good stuff. Uh, but yeah, look, uh, the, the fan fest looked like a lot of fun. Like if, if you are really invested in the, that game, they look like a great time. Like uh, I know... One guy I know has been to the uh, the Vegas one last year, right? And that looked like a, a riot. Mm. Um, obviously, the, the Japanese ones maybe harder to get to, but uh, and maybe they'll have a bit of a different feel because obviously, like Japanese conventions are different from Western ones mm. in terms of how they're organised, how people approach conventions in general. So maybe they're a bit less party atmosphere. Might, might be more difficult to socialise as well. Yeah, like um, I, I'm guessing that like 
I mean, this this goes back to the days of FF11, but a lot of Japanese parties were like Japanese speakers only, or just Japanese only. So maybe if you're a Westerner going over there, and you aren't a part of a Gaijin-friendly free company, mm. then it might be difficult to get the foot in the door. Yeah. So yeah, if you if you don't know someone that's there already, yeah. So stick to your own servers. Yeah. For um to avoid latency. Bloody Gaijins. <laughs> so what else do we have at the Monaco Anime and Games? Conference 2017, Tetsuya Nomura was giving a talk about his career. Your pal. My, my good boy, Tetsuya Nomura. And, um, out of the blue, he, fro- he brought three screenshots with him, decided to show them. There were a, one screenshot for Kingdom Hearts 3, and two for 7 Remake, which nobody was expecting because Square had gone on record saying, we're not gonna show much yet, but wait till later. Mm. And he came out with these and just said, look, look at this, this is what we're doing. So the the one for Kingdom Hearts three is it's interesting in that like um it's incredibly good looking. Mm-hmm. They have been working on that game for a, a while now, both on what is now the Final Fantasy fifteen engine, Luminous, mm-hmm. and then they ported all that over to Unreal Engine four. The game has its own shading technology called Kingdom Shader, right? Which I believe the way they described it, this has been years since they said anything about it. And I think it's still in the game. Basically, the shader will change how how it looks depending on the world you're in. So it will give every world a unique feel that feels like the actual source material. That'd be nice. So like Hercules and the the area that that's in will look like Hercules the film. Yeah. If there is a frozen world and there probably will be, that will look like frozen. Big Hero 6's world will look like, is it Neo Tokyo? I can't remember what Big Hero 6 is. I said. think it's San Francisco. San Francisco, that's the one, yeah. Um, that will look like Big Hero 6. So, so I mean, that's, that's taking, uh, probably making use of like toon shaders versus 3D shaders and different materials. Yeah. Um, they've not shown anything of any world that's not the Hercules world, unfortunately, yeah. so far. Um, so nobody's really sure how it's going to work. They have said that they're still working on stuff because obviously, like, Nomura is tied to two different games at the moment and he's doing work for other games on top of that. Mm. So it's, it's going along at a bit of a slow pace. But it's getting there, and the game does look like remarkably good. Kingdom Hearts uh, 0.2, the one that came with the um, HD port for um, Dream Drop Distance, is also incredibly good looking. So if, if the entire game is of that visual fidelity, uh-huh. then that's great because the Kingdom Hearts games have always had like a they've always been a good looking series. Like they've they've been designed to run well on their hardware, and they but whilst looking good as well. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. But the one. I'm far more interested in is the Final Fantasy VII screenshots. Sure. One is a bit of a weird one because it seems to show for stealth element. It's Cloud hiding behind the box and the Shinra Trooper is, or a soldier grunt, not Shinra Trooper, that's, that's wrong, I should know my lore, shooting him from behind the box. Yep. The last time we saw a stealth element in Final, Fa- in Final Fantasy was in 15 and it didn't work very well. Alarm bells. Alarm bells ring a bit, yeah, um, but we'll see. Um, that was an odd one. Uh, the lighting looks great, like obviously, um, Unreal Engine 4 is a, is well known for a, being good looking, doing lighting really well, um, handling all that kind of stuff. The second screenshot is far more interesting because it shows the combat system. Before you move on to that one, can I, uh, talk about the, the first screenshot that you mentioned? Yes. With him hiding behind great. So I noticed in that one as well, the, the UI is actually visible, like the attack. Yes. UI. So, I mean, is, instead of, I, I suppose it was always mentioned that it was going to be, uh, real time combat. Yes. So, rather than a stealth aspect, is this maybe a cover aspect? Probably more to do with that, yeah. I would guess so, actually, that you say it. Cover is also in 15, but it does not work. No. Like, it's, it's, it works horribly. Um, like it, I, I did have difficulty trying to use it, even in, in places where the cover was almost uh, intentional. It was it was like it had been added to be used. Yeah. Especially, like, there's the missions where you had to infiltrate the um, Niflheim bases. And like, when, even when there's cover right in front of you, because the action is context based, but you also have to press a button. And then, but when you come out of that, like the context stops mm-hmm. and like it switches between it. It's weird and it doesn't work very well. And like it made those missions quite frustrating, to be honest. Right. So hopefully that's not going to be an issue here. Hopefully it's like a solid mechanic or it's just contextual altogether. So like if you go to a box, the character will crouch behind it automatically. I would prefer that because there is only one stealth um, part of Final Fantasy 7 as we know. It's the one where you have to get past the Shinra guards. Again, soldier guards. Um, in the Shinra in Tower. In the Shinra Tower. When mm. you're walking past the, the um, entrance gates. 
But, I mean, obviously it's a remake, they might do different stuff. So, we'll see with that. Hopefully it will work better than 15. Second screenshot is showing off the combat system, which, to go back to the UI a bit, you will notice that um, you've got attack, magic, materia, an item. Materia was not, well, obviously materia is in Final Fantasy VII, but it wasn't on the command list. No, because it was it part was, of magic, wasn't it? Magic is intrinsically tied to materia yeah. in the game. Um, materia will affect how your command list comes up. Whereas in this game, like obviously, like if you equipped an enemy skill material, it wouldn't come up under material enemy skill. You would just get enemy skill on your command list, wouldn't you? Yes. With this one, it's all that appears to all under B material, which is odd because why is magic separate from it? That's the interesting thing in it. Also, a bit of a change for the last one is there was a summon um, tab um, in the original trailer from PSX 2015. Mm. That's not there anymore. Right. Whether that's under Materia, we don't know. They never go into Materia, it's just a screenshot. I guess so. um, UI is probably something that will be polished up until the last minute. They did say that, they, well, Numero did say that the UI is not final. And I would guess that the PSX trailer was probably just, maybe maybe no spec footage, but like really early footage where the, the UI was just dummy. So they were just like, just put that on there. Right. Um, one of the more interesting things though, they did mention in the last trailer there was going to be an ATB bar. And that is there. In that second screenshot, you will see that Cloud has a bar above his head, which is his healthy limit break bar, but there's also the triangle button above his head, and yeah. there's three wee notches. Uh-huh. One of them's full, and if you look at it, the character stat bars on the right-hand side, there is another bar that's, well, it's the ATB bar, actually, sorry, which is full, and it's got the triangle button flashing next to it, and it's got some kanji next to it. Yeah. Now, I've actually taken the liberty of translating this. And just, just so uh, you know what Dave's talking about, if you... If you want to look at this this image, we've included it in the blog post for this um, yeah for this episode, so you can you can look at it. Now I can't like I can read some kanji, but I could not read these, so these have had to go through Google Translate. So I apologise in advance, but um, if I can get it, here we go. So the kanji comes out as um, Retsu Osamukiri, um, which means like strong or fierce slash, which is tied to the triangle button. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that tied to the ATV button? I'll tell you. Back when they showed the trailer late 2015, mm-hmm. the first gameplay trailer, people asked about the ATV bar because it was there, but nobody seemed to really know what it did because it didn't seem to be doing anything. It was just either full or empty. There was no in between. And Nomura said it's going to be something that ties into how attacks work. So, have you played the Syria? Uh Yeah. Do you know how in Dissidia, like, you'll, you'll have your HP attacks and your brave attacks? So you'll, you'll attack so much, and then you'll fill up your brave meter, and that's how you actually deal damage. Sure, yeah. I think that's what this is. Okay. I think it's tied to this. Um, so, like, you'll have your standard attacks, which are probably tied to square or X, I'm guessing, depending on the region of the game you're playing. Mm-hmm. So that'll, like, chip away at damage, and your ATB bar will fill, depending on either, it might be time, it might be however much you've attacked. And when it gets to that, it fills up, you get triangle for your special attack, and that like will either stun or damage the enemy further. Okay. And that will give you some kind of tactical advantage. Like in Final Fantasy thirteen, you'll have when you can bowl over enemies or like you, you basically kinda of break their shield. Yeah. I think it's something to do with that. That's obviously complete conjecture, but I would not be surprised if it's something like that. Another couple of things to talk about. Nomura did mention for the first time in about two years, um something about Final Fantasy fifteen. He talked about it. The last time he talked about it was in 2014, where he said he was angry about being taken off the project, and he's not talked about it since. The only thing he said about it in this presentation was, magic will not work like it does in 15. Your characters will not be damaged. Right, okay. I mean, that kind of says everything you need to know about what he probably feels about the game. That this game will not work like this other game. That's fair. I mean, it, it, it was a really frustrating point of that game, because it's if you're using some of the, the larger elemental um, magic in Final Fantasy XV, it was very difficult to target groups of enemies without yeah. hitting your teammates. Yeah. I mean, like, a lot of it was, like, it didn't do much damage, but, like, it was just annoying a lot of the time. Like, it was a cool feature, but, like, eventually we're like, all right, fair enough. Here we go again. Watch um, Prompto Day's stupid Arches on Fire animation. Like, it loses appeal after a while. They did say that, in grades in particular... If you use that, that's not going to hurt your party. Right. Um, it's all going to be enemy only. There's no friendly fire in the game. So yeah, that's that's pretty much everything that they had to to show. Nomura did say he wanted to show a, a video, but Square would not let him. 
Yes. It's still nice of him to, to release these to the world. Yeah. Um, I am I'm very excited for the remake. I am just also very anxious having played Final Fantasy fifteen. Um, yeah. Um it, it's I know a lot of people enjoy it, but it was not something that I felt that I could continue playing after a certain point. I think um the the way that I'm seeing it at the moment is like a completely different team, completely different director, completely different engine. An engine that's feature complete, that Square do not have to develop themselves. They've got help from CyberConnect too. They've this game has everything in place that should help it be good, but then again, so did fifteen to some degree. But I like I have more faith in Namura. Like he can make good games. Like there's there's this whole thing that people have kind of latched on. It's like oh, Namura takes ages to make a game. It's like yeah, because Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen was stuck in pre-production for five years because of the failure of Final Fantasy Fourteen, and because they wanted to get Thirteen out. So like that game was never in proper production. And then when it did get any proper production, they took him off the project and put him on uh, Kingdom Hearts 3. Mm. So, like, that's, like, six, seven years doing the pan already. And then they restarted that with Tabata in the director's chair. That version of the game took three years. Mm. So it's not true to say that Final Fantasy XV was in development for ten years because Versus was not the same game, like, at all. Sure. The games he has released, like, are, by and large, good to great. The only exception I would say is probably Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, which is overly gimmicked. It's not that fun of a game, but even then the production values are high. I have a lot of faith in Nomura, but we'll we'll see again. I think he can pull it off. I think. I hope. We'll okay. see. Okay, fingers crossed. I mean, I, I suppose uh, there's a quick update on Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Yeah. So we got a release date for that as the 30th of June. Mm. Again, after E3, so they can drop on one big trailer at E3 to show it off. Yeah, it looks good. Um, they got the original voice actor for um, Coco back, which is interesting. That's sweet. I think the rest of it is like mostly uh, actors from the new games. Right. So, we'll see. I mean, yeah, it looks fun. I suppose it's like one of these small aesthetics that will make a difference to yeah. some people. But, I, I mean, ultimately, as long as the, the levels and the, the gameplay is still as... I mean, they, they keep calling it um, a AAA remaster, is what they're called. They're not calling it a remake. Right. Um, the reason they call it that is because... Everything, like the visuals, the sound, all that kind of thing has been redone, but the actual core gameplay is basically identical to the PS1 versions. Mm. And the way that the level does, levels are designed is the same. There is no remaking of the levels. They're effectively just making... It's more like, I don't know, like... I'm trying to think. Um, Cave Story Plus. Right. Where they, they redone all the visuals. But the game is the same, and it's just got a couple of new bells and whistles. Something like that. But yeah, it's it's looking good. I'll be interested to see how it turns out. It's pretty cheap as well. It's $40 in America. Okay. Um, which is like, what will be 30 quid here? Which is an agreeable price. One last thing to talk about. Yesterday was OneFest, which was a, well, is, it's a, a large uh, attack convention in Makuhari Messi in, um, Tokyo. Generally, it's used to, um, display garage kits, doujinshi, and figures for larger companies. So generally, like, um, they, it happens in February and July or August. We actually, when we were in Japan, we missed one fest by one day, which ah. was incredibly frustrating, but. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, because I would have been, I would have been really interested to go with that. There's been quite a few, um, game related figure announcements this year. There always, there always is, but mostly, mostly it's interesting because there's quite a lot of Western or games that are quite famous in the West licenses that have been announced. So the big one is Overwatch. Overwatch has been licensed by Goodsmell Company, who make Nendoroids and Figma. Yeah. So they've confirmed currently, obviously, they, they announced an Nendoroid Tracer last week. Yeah, which is, it's been over, all over Facebook. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also AmiAmi's number one selling product. People are crazy for that thing. It does look really nice. It's a really nice wee design thing. It's, it's cute. Yes. It's, all Nendoroids are it, cute, I guess. It's, so. uh, it's much nicer looking than the pop versions. Um, I mean, yeah, like that's it's like can, that, that, I mean, that shit to gold. Though, that usually so. goes without saying. Yeah, there's there's a really cool picture of them both together, and it's like a your girl versus the one she tells you not to worry about. <laughs> and it's 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 true. Like the oh yeah, N- Nendroid uh, figures are so much nicer. Funkos are like there's no design that goes into them. They're all based on the base body. Yeah, obviously Nendroids are to an extent as well, but they it's a, an actual designer works on those. And he likes he will sculpt like proper. I can't remember the guy's name. Nendoron, I think. But he will sculpt unique parts. Obviously, every, everyone's unique in some way. Whereas yeah. 
Funko Pops are all use the same sculpt. They, they're all kind of they look very manufactured. Yeah, is the word. They, they, they almost look like just repaints of one another in, in most cases. Effectively, they are. Yeah, but they've also announced that they're doing a Figma tracer. Mm-hmm. Um, so an articulated one, a Figma Genji, the robot ninja guy mm-hmm. that's not riding, and they're also doing Nendoroid, Mercy, and May. So that's five figures right at the gate, which is pretty big for. Like, I mean, Overwatch is big in the East. Particularly in China. Did you know how many copies Overwatch has sold in China? Five million. That's quite a few. Yeah, that's quite a few. Um, so, like, I would guess that these figures will probably see quite a bit of popularity over in China and the East in general. Like, I know it's, it's relatively popular in Japan. Um, I've seen a lot of fan art of varying distinction. So it's, it's doing pretty well. Um, other licenses I saw, Bloodborne is getting quite a few figures. So you've got the Figma Hunter, or mm-hmm. the, the Box Art Hunter. So he's got the Switch saw blade and a standard pistol. Mm-hmm. That looks good. There's also a, a relatively new company that do one six scale statues and models. They are doing two Bloodborne uh, statues. One is the Hunter who has just killed an infected villager. Okay. He's standing on top of him and he's like aiming his gun at something in the, the background. But it's got like a, a lamp from Yarnum and all that in the back. It looks really cool. And one that's a spoiler because it's a DLC character. Got you. The, I'm trying to think, was there anything else for Bloodborne? No, but there is a Dark Souls 3 Figma coming out. Oh? I think it's of a knight with like a horned helmet. I don't, I'll, I'll show you after the, like if we can put it on the, um. Yeah, if you can send post. me links to all these, I'll, I'll put them Absolutely, in the post yeah. for this show. But yeah, they, they announced that the, um, they didn't have the actual prototype on display there, I don't think. They just had a photo of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm guessing it's pending license or approval. Right. What else? Ah, yes, Pokemon. Pokemon, obviously, big franchise. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't even need to be said. Good Smell Company have the license for that as well. Good Smell are doing very, very well. There's another really big one. What's uh, that? Good Smile picked up the license for Disney. That's right, they did, yes. Um, so I've seen some of those figures as well. Yeah, they're doing a lot of Disney Princess, Nendoroids, um, Woody, Buzz... I mean, that's going to be huge. I mean, I'd, I'd imagine stores that wouldn't even stock Good Smile stuff usually will pick up some of those. Yeah, um, you'll probably find... I would not be surprised if, like, Disney stores stock those. Mm. Um, maybe not ones in Britain, but certainly ones in the US. Yeah. Um, and I mean, given the quality of the figures, it's it wouldn't there wouldn't be a mess on their shelf. Yeah. Good Smile Company are, are doing really well with the license at the moment. They're getting, they're getting a lot of reach. So uh, I can imagine that they're... This has been something they want to do for a while because they have had a Mickey Mouse Nendoroid. Yeah. And a Minnie Mouse one as well, I think. So they've been looking at this for a while and it's, they finally got the opportunity to kind of get their reach even that little bit further. They've also got Persona 5. They are doing the main character and the, the blonde one. Okay. And the cat thing is getting a Nendoroid as well. Cool. So there's a, a lot of big licenses, mostly a good smell company, but that was, that's not to be, Unexpected because Wonderfest is Good Smells kind of tough. Yeah. They always announce stuff there. Other companies like uh, Tamashi Nations will have their own event that they announce stuff at. They will generally have more Japanese licenses or like um, movie western licenses. So Tamashi tend to have a lot of Sentai and Kamen Rider stuff. They also have uh, tie in with Marvel, uh, which I, th- I think Good Smell did have at one point, but they don't have any more. They tried, they, I think they almost had a full Avengers set. But they were missing one or two characters, I think. Or they just didn't look very good. Was there a figure festival in New York just now as well? New York um, Toy Fair, I think. Right. Yeah, uh, because uh, they showed a couple of things there. Um, there was a Play Arts Kai for Aqua from Kingdom Hearts. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything else that was shown there, though, unfortunately. Atlas and Peabody from Portal made an appearance. Oh, yeah, the Figmas for that, and they're doing Nendoroids for that as well. Yeah. They look pretty cute. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, they're really um, glossy. Yeah, um, they're, they're, they're nice, recognisable characters as well. It's a shame that it's probably five years too late for those characters, unfortunately. Considering, like, I, I don't know, it just feels a bit dishonest that... No dishonest. It just feels a bit of a con, maybe, that Valve are still relying on these characters and they're not willing to revisit any of their old franchises. They're just resting on their laurels a bit with Dota yeah. and Steam in general. I, I mean, I suppose it would, it would depend if they were approached about it and maybe they are just like, yeah, do whatever. If, if it was, like, a recent acquisition or... Yeah, maybe. But the, I mean, the figures themselves do look nice. Oh yeah, like, um, good they're smell. really, really posable. That's, that's the one thing with good smell. Like, they're, they're a very, they've become a very big company. Mm. But, um, they, the quality of their stuff is usually good to great. If you're gonna be buying stuff for, like, Overwatch or Disney, 
I would suggest waiting to see how these Nendoroids turn out because they they just look nice in general. The quality tends to be good in them, so chuck your pop vinyls in the bin, please. <laughs> yeah, don't don't hold on to those for resale value because they will probably have none. They don't have any at all. Um, like even the ones that come exclusive and look crates and that don't have any resale value. I just I can't get over how much people pay for like what is essentially cheap plastic with a bad paint job. And it's it's I, everyone's got their hobby, but. Certainly wouldn't be on my shelf. So I'm not that, a fan of those. Gotta have that nerd cred. Gotta yeah. have all this stupid shit on your shelf. Yeah. Oh well. Okay, um, so let's finish up with our poorly remembered game quote. Mm-hmm. And remember, you can, if you guess this right, you can win a copy of World of Goo, which is a fun little strategy game which I still love. Uh, and that's available on PC, Android, and I think iOS. This this will be a tester, because mm. we haven't really given away prizes on the show before. Do you um, know if it's available on Mac as well? Very interesting. Uh, it's playable on Mac through Steam. Right. Okay. Because yeah. right, that's, um, that's, that, that's how I play it most of the time. So if you can guess this quote, I should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light. It's not dark souls. And it wasn't me as a teenager. Although it's probably not a miss to something I might have said at some point. Or written in a poem. Oh my god. <laughs> if you do know, you can get in touch with us. Uh, mm-hmm. You can drop us an email at podcast at ozaran.com. You can tweet us. Mm-hmm. You can leave a comment on the post. Or you can message us on Facebook. Send uh, us a postcard. Don't send us a postcard. Oh. It probably won't arrive on time. <coughs> and I don't feel particularly comfortable giving anyone my address. Um, fair enough. That's, that makes sense. I have enemies everywhere. Mostly, mostly... In Edinburgh. But I think that's it. Yep. Cool. Thanks for listening. Catch you later, lads. See you soon. Bye.